Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to Path to Abundant Living. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. It's great to be with you all today, and as always, I'll be joined by the stars of our show, and that's Mr. Scott Morrison and Matt Nordman of Morrison Nordman Wealth Management, and we're going to be unpacking a, really a wide array of financial topics here on the show today. Look, we've, through you know throughout the course of A, doing this podcast, and B, Matt and Scott just existing as an entity within the wealth management space, they field a lot of financial questions, right, from clients, from folks in the neighborhood you know, at a local barbecue, just, just constantly, they are addressing a wide variety of financial topics and questions. So we thought it would be really beneficial for the audience today to answer some of those big pressing questions on the podcast today. So we're going to be covering a wide array of topics and of course, a wide array of questions that go along with these topics today. But really, it's an FAQ of an episode, if you will. So before we dive into the first big topic at hand today, let's go ahead and say hi to the guys. Matt and Scott, it's good to see you this morning. How are you guys doing? Ryan, great to see you. Scott, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Ryan. Morning, guys. And yeah, we've got we've got our work cut out for us. There's a handful of topics that we want to cover here today. Let's start with the big one that I know a lot of folks are asking you guys about on a regular basis, and that's the debt ceiling. Matt, why don't you kick things off for us? What are your thoughts here? What are the questions you're getting around the debt ceiling? And and uh, what's what advice and, and wisdom could you share with us? Sure, Ryan. Yeah, there's there's no shortage of coverage of the debt ceiling and whether whether the government is going to raise the amount that they borrow to cover the the obligations that they've already set forth in in the budget and so you know if you look at the current budget of for fiscal year 2023 of 6.4 trillion dollars but they're only expecting or projected revenues of 4.8 billion or trillion so you're like I mean, you start throwing around these numbers and you're like, okay, so now we're, you know, one and a half trillion short. So they got to borrow money. And and so this is not the first time this has happened. You know, this, this continually happens where it becomes this, not to choose sides, but you have this jockeying of both parties of, okay, we need to cut spending. Well, we're not going to cut spending. And, and it's so this back and forth. And so you have this stalemate and, and they're generally it's used to try to get leverage over the other party. And what we try to say is, okay, well, what, what should we take away from what's happening and should we be concerned? And, and what is the likelihood that the U S will default and, and not pay its bills, its obligations that have been set forth. And so you get this back and forth and what a lot of people aren't aware is, so the government uses every year, baseline budgeting, meaning you have a budget. You and I have a budget. Everybody has a household budget and we don't spend more unless we have more money that comes in. Now, the federal government's different. They automatically, every fiscal year, which it was years ago they did this, but they said, okay, we're going to raise our budget every single year, regardless of 3% plus the rate of inflation, no matter what. Whether, whether your agency spends all that money, we're going to raise your budget every single year. And so you go back and forth. Well, <clears throat> you again, you and I don't raise our spending unless we have more money. So this is where you kind of say, okay, should they be doing this or not? We're not going to debate that. But so they they're going to meet and decide should they raise this debt ceiling. This is not the first time. If if you really kind of remember, we had the debt ceiling issues in 
2013, 2011, and it's all over the news. And then the potential is, is there going to be a government shutdown, right? Well, if the government doesn't have enough money to pay its bills, is there going to be a shutdown? And who's affected by a government shutdown? If you remember, there was a temporary shutdown in the previous administration under President Trump. And then there was President Obama. And, and what we notice is it makes a lot of news. And ultimately, they come to a deal. And the deal is we're going to cut spending. The question is, are they really cutting spending or are they really only cutting the rate of the increase? And that's what's happened in the past. Nobody wins if the U.S. government defaults. Nobody. Whether it's us as citizens, government employees, people around the world, it, it makes people nervous is whether the U.S. government's going to pay its bills or not. And am I going to get my Social Security checks? And, you know, so ultimately with this debt ceiling, unfortunately, we as the general population are the ones who have to deal with this, knowing that in our own households, we say, just don't spend as much money. Well, it's easier said than done. But but in the big picture, you know, it's yes, we're aware of it. Yes. But there's a lot of noise that's out there. And I got to get you to click and watch and, and read. So take a step back and say, okay, if the U.S. government doesn't pay its bills in for a, an extended period of time, we have much bigger issues to deal with. So, And then also the president has executive authority, executive powers that they can extend and do some different things to, to play this out. But it, it's a political jockeying game by both parties. And most likely if, if this is any indication is similar, they'll raise the limit and then both parties will say, look, we we're increasing spending or we're cutting spending and we're getting the job done. But generally, yeah, we're, yeah. we're yeah. not overly uh, concerned. Whenever there's an opportunity for some FaceTime, you know, where now you have, you know, Senator McCarthy and, and, uh, and President Biden, you know, and the political posturing that Matt was alluding to, uh, you know, with election year coming up, it's one of those things where I don't know that 10 years ago that the uh, debt ceiling got nearly as much attention as it gets now in the media. And anytime you get that kind of emotionally charged uh, news story or one that's made out to be as emotionally charged as it is, you know, talking about defaulting on debt and that kind of thing, um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for FaceTime and to do a lot of political posturing. And uh, like Matt said, the, the likelihood of, of a default um, is slim to none. In my, in my personal feeling uh, about it, um, you know, it's one of those things where, like Matt said, they're going to get to a point where they're both going to take credit for whatever the outcome is once this thing is worked out. One's going to take credit for, uh, one party's going to take credit for the fact that the, the increase took place and that the government moves on. And the other one's going to take credit for the, the fact that the increase wasn't as great as what was originally proposed. It's, un sure. it's un the whole thing is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and like you said, Matt, I mean, neither side really comes out winning at the end of the day for this, uh, which is one of those tougher wealth management related conversations to have with clients, no doubt. And another one that isn't that, great to have sometimes with your clients. And I know it's a big question that hits you guys is those questions surrounding inflation. I mean, we've seen inflation 
moving, changing, ebbing and flowing these last few years following the COVID pandemic. Uh, what do you have to share with this, you know, surrounding inflation concerns? Because I know this is a really big topic for so many folks out there. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts here? Scott, why don't you start and I'll, I'll add yeah, in. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Sure. Um, well, obviously there's been seven rate hikes in 2022 and another two rate hikes in 2023. And the, you know, what the, the Federal Reserve Bank's role is in raising interest rates is to try to curb inflation. Now, you know, they only have so much control in, in doing that by raising interest rates, because you have to ask what what parts of the economy are most affected by raising interest rates? Well, the first couple of places you can think to come to mind right away are in the in the real estate market or in in borrowing uh, when it comes to expansion. So if they can slow that down, uh, then they can expect that you know in 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 due course you would also see some prices come down. So uh, you know their core inflation target is around two and a half percent. And it was what Matt seven eight percent uh, at the it end or at the end of twenty twenty one. Is that the end? It got over. It got over nine percent. Like the annual rate was, if you look year over year, it got up. To yeah, over and so you know, they've 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 certainly done enough to start to see or to ask the question whether or not we should be pausing because they've cut that just about in half. I think it's at somewhere around four and a half, four point seven now with a with a target of 2.5 so the question is do they continue to to have rate increases or do they pause and and say hey we've got enough momentum with this that the inflation will continue to come down naturally with what they've already done um, that's kind of where obviously the market and the investors are trying to anticipate what that's going to be um, but as, as far as you know inflation and how it affects portfolios I think the one thing that we've been telling our clients is understand that in any environment, whether it's inflation, whether it's political, whether it's natural disaster, portfolio manager's role is to position a portfolio or to have it weighted in such a way to either try to avoid certain sectors that they know are going to, you know, uh, perform poorly during uh, any, any given event, or that there's an opportunity somewhere. So they'll reweight the portfolio accordingly. So, you know, sometimes the media is kind of one of these things where, it, again, it, it gets everybody charged up about being in the market or out of the market in gold or in cash, you know, versus maintaining some discipline and just making subtle changes to the portfolios accordingly. So, you know, Ryan, with with inflation, you know, I, Scott Scott's heard this story numerous times that we have been... I don't want to say spoiled for the from 2008 nine ish when we had the the big financial crisis. There's there hasn't been a lot of inflation, a lot of price increase. But I Scott's heard this. So my father in law has his one of his, if not the first, one of his first paychecks, and he's got it framed, and it's this tiny little thing. It, you know, it's not like today's, which has you know a million deductions and all these other things, but. It was, he was, it was 1954 and he was working at Michigan Bell and he made a dollar an hour, $1 an hour, worked overtime, made $48 for the week. <laughs> and he that. could, and he could live on that. 
right? Well, and then we went through an inflationary period in the in the 60s, and then things leveled off, and then a little bit, and then we had stagflation in the 70s. And then those that remember the 80s, or if you go back and do some research, the 80s had huge inflation, you know, 15, 16, 17% in a year. And then it kind of levels off again, and then more in the 90s. And then, you know, well, then we were pretty level for a very long time from, like we say, 2008 and 9 up until early beginning of 2022, right? Whether, and again, it can be debated whether it was the fiscal policy or whatever. Well, then you throw in a global shutdown and a lot of money flooding into people's bank accounts or not being able to spend money. And all of a sudden you have just this massive demand and then you can't have, then there's not enough supply, right? We all know about supply chain issues and everybody's tired of hearing it. Me first and foremost, right? But the reality is what that does, supply and demand, not huge supply, not enough demand, prices go up and here we are. And so all that stuff has to work through the system before it's going to level out again. And like Scott was talking to the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, which affect bond markets, which affect in mortgage interest rates and borrowing rates and, and all these other areas. And so we're coming back in line. It's just, it takes time. It's just normal cycles. It's just, we haven't seen this, you know, quote unquote, normal cycle in a while. Roger that. So to piggyback off of that, just kind of in the flow of a normal cycle, then I think the the question that is typically next in line for a lot of clients or folks out there is, so are we headed to a recession? What do you have to say to that? So, so depends on, so a recession is defined as two quarters in a row that are negative. So no growth, but actually going backwards. And so the question is, did we have that in 2022 already? Well, again, not to debate it, but technically we did. But they said, well, let's kind of change the rules on that second quarter because we weren't really negative, but we were, but we're not going to call it a recession. And then some call the the 2020 with the the shutdown with the pandemic. That was, well, was that really a recession or not? We ask people all the time, Ryan, and I've asked you or just ask your friends, how in your lifetime, how many more recessions do you believe that we're going to have? And when we ask this question all the time, people are like, oh, maybe one or two. It's like, we're going to go through recessions and we're going to have one. The question is, are we going to have it later this year? Are we going to have it next year, the year after? And then we're going to have another one and another one and another one. That is normal economic cycles. It's just... We haven't seen it again when you go through these this massive expansion that we had after the massive decline in 2007, 8, and 9, and then just straight up. It's like, okay, we need to take a breath. And so so are we in? Are we going to have one? Yeah, the, the issue is you never know that you're in a recession until you're already in a recession. Sure. And so sure, then the question sure. becomes, what should we do, if anything? Well, you have your plan in place, and is your plan you know, oh, I have something that's coming up in the next six months, the next two, three years, five years, 10 years, you know, review your plan to say, okay, what's coming up and would a recession impact that if, if, and when one happens? Sure thing. Sure thing. Well, I want to flip gears now to another big question, especially it's pretty timely right now. Um, 
and that would be surrounding the banks themselves. We're hearing talks of you know banks being failed uh, or failing that is, and what the ripple effect of that is. I mean, I'm sure the big question that people are asking you is, well, is my money safe if these banks are failing? So, what do you guys have to share with us on that front? Because I know this is kind of a hot topic at the moment, and and people are looking for some clarity here. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to feel that one initially. Um, like like anything, and if you're looking at your own portfolio and you're either overweighted uh, or not diversified enough in your portfolio, in any given uh, you know market cycle, you might experience more pain or more gain uh, depending on where you're overweighted. Um, the banks, uh, in this case, that were in question, Signature Bank, Silicon Valley. Um, uh, what's the other one? First, um, First Republic. First Republic. Yeah. You know, you, you start looking at how they were doing business essentially. And with Silicon Bank in particular, you know, they had a, a kind of a niche market with a lot of uh, technology companies out in California. Bus and startups. that sector, yeah, that, that, that sector got hit the hardest with all of the, the rate increases. Uh, because when you have those borrowing costs going up with a startup company that needs to borrow money, uh, that puts a lot of strain on, on their ability to expand. Um, it also, it, it was a situation where these banks had bought longer duration bonds. And in the bond market, it works kind of on a teeter-totter. The, the bond prices and the yields have an inverse relationship. So when all of these rate increases occur on these long duration bonds, the prices of those bonds are dropping. And in the case of these three banks, they had purchased a lot of these long bonds. And so when others come along to say, hey, I need some money, if there's enough redemption requests, then the banks essentially are selling these bonds at a loss and putting themselves in some financial hardship in that, in that regard. And then if there's any kind of media coverage on this, at all like there was, then you start to see, you know, the run on the banks uh, where everybody wants to get their money out as quickly as possible. Uh, how do we, how do we, you know, talk to our clients about that? Well, we remind them that we're talking about, you know, three, three banks essentially, or regional banks in that regard, or anybody who's like any other companies, if they're not um, managed properly, or if they find themselves overweighted in one sector or having overbought into a, a certain security, this is the kind of thing that can happen. Um, so it, it kind of lends to some conversations about what, a, what somebody's portfolio should look like as well and, and being balanced and, and, uh, you know, being diversified in that regard. Anytime, anytime a bank fails and especially banks, the size that failed, right. It gets, like Scott was saying, it gets media coverage. And it, and again, I need you to watch my channel or click on my link. And the way to do that is, right, there's there's two things that run the world. We talk about this all the time, fear and greed. And fear is a much bigger motivator. And so I'm going to tell you how horrible the world is economically. And if this bank fails, well, then you better be concerned because all banks could fail. And so that's where we say, okay, let's take a step back from the ledge here and, and look at it. You know, in 2008 to 12, there were hundreds of banks that failed that, you know, was a significant amount when you kind of look at the assets that they had versus what happened with these banks. And so 
people have short-term memories and they forget what happened in that time frame. Nobody wants any banks to fail because that is concerning, especially if you have money in those banks. And again, you say, okay, like Scott was saying, it's how did those banks use their assets to invest and what were their clientele? And so in this instance, you know, the federal government is stepping in and or the FDIC is stepping in to ensure deposits up to a certain amount. And so that's where you you want to review with with your advisor. That's what we're telling our clients is, okay, let's who who are you doing your banking with? Because what what you don't see a lot of times or sometimes you do is you see other banks will step in and buy the assets, you know, of these banks that fail. And so you know, yes, you should be aware of it and know that, okay, who is, where do you have your money on deposit, your your liquid cash? And then say, okay, is that bank fully funded and, you know, in good shape? Because they all go through stress tests. Sure, sure. No, this is good stuff, guys. I think we're, we're clearing a lot of the air for, for folks out there. Next big topic, uh, in, and this is one, that's been, uh, you know, pertinent for me. I, I myself, I bought a home back in 2021, and ever since then, interest rates have been rising. So let's let's dive into the conversations surrounding interest rates specifically. Uh, what are your, you know, surface level thoughts, and where do you see interest rates going, and and what kind of questions are clients asking you about interest rates as a whole? Well, so I'll start, Scott, and I know you have some thoughts on this as well. So. As Scott alluded to earlier, even talked about is, you know, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, which affects the bond market, which is how mortgages and savings accounts and and those kinds of things, you know. So for, you know, from 2009 to 2000, early 2022, if you wanted to borrow money, it was a great deal, right? I mean, you could get mortgages for under 3%. And if you look historically at rates, that is unreal. And so that's great. Well, rates went up very quickly in 2022, and they're kind of hovering somewhere between six, and I just saw 7% recently. And again, historically, you say, okay, where does that fall? Everything, all the data that we see, and we talk with the investment team, all the data is saying, okay, until inflation is higher than that Fed funds rate, the Federal Reserve isn't going to lower rates but eventually that will occur and part of that comes into like we were talking about earlier if we're in a recession and they need to the federal reserve is looking to you know spur the economy on then they're going to lower rates everything is prior to the banks these bank failures that we saw on some other data it was most likely going to be early 2024 maybe mid 2024 before the federal reserve is going to lower rates now it appears that people are saying, oh, okay, it might be maybe the end of 2023 and, uh, you know, the the odds on end of 23, early 24, when rates are going to start coming down. That mortgage rate, you know, but who knows what's going to happen between now and then, right? We're, our, the, the whole debt ceiling issue is going to, the longer it drags on, it's going to make people a little concerned, which then, you know, quote unquote, rattles the markets and makes people nervous, which then drives bond prices up. And, you know, I've been, we've been telling everybody for, I don't know, a month, month and a half now, 
the one good thing about this whole debt ceiling discussion that's 24-7 is the longer it goes on, the longer it pushes out the 24-7 coverage of the next presidential election. Because as soon as this debt ceiling thing is solved, that's all we're going to get for the next year and a half. Roger that. Scott, any feedback on this end of things? Otherwise, we can shift to, to the next topic, which I know is, is another big one. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, so, guys, we've spent a few episodes talking about this next topic, and that is surrounding estate planning as a whole. I think a big question a lot of folks are asking you guys or just even asking themselves, do I myself need an estate plan? What do you say to that? Uh, absolutely. Everybody needs an estate plan. Um, I, I think that the one of the biggest concerns about going into uh, planning without an estate plan is is you know asking that question of what's your legacy? What's what's the most important thing in your life? And uh, if that's your kids and your family, uh, wanting to make sure that all of the the hard work that you put into a life's work of employment into savings. Uh, that that is going to have some sort of a legacy, uh, which an estate plan uh, is going to help structure for you. You know, talking talking with an attorney, uh, multiple attorneys, they, they will say, like Scott is saying, hey, you should have stuff in order. And, and a simple thing for you, whether whether you're single or married, <clears throat> as well as for your adult children who are not married, or even if they are married, they should have this, is you should get medical and financial powers of attorney in place. Pretty simple to do. I say simple, but it, it can be done in a relatively painless way. But get powers of attorney for yourself, medical and financial for, again, this is what the attorneys tell us, and we totally agree with this, is get those powers of attorney in place. We do not know what today or tomorrow brings. And in the event that it's needed, you already have it in place. And if you have kids or grandkids who are turn 18 and going off to college or getting starting their own careers, it's have it in place for them as well. Because again, the likelihood of something happening, it might be pretty low, but also in the event something happens, you don't want to have to go to court to get permission to handle your kids i one quick story personally is um in the summer of 2021 we took a family trip out to colorado springs we're going to do this hiking thing older daughter's home younger daughter's getting away to getting ready to go to college well she has to have emergency appendectomy well she's 18 now and guess what i'm taking her to the hospital at 10 30 at night they're not talking and asking me the questions they're talking with her and so and everything went well, everything went smoothly, but in the event that anything happened, it was a, a nice peace of mind that if needed, I could make all the the medical decisions for her if it if the need arose. No, that's that's good. I appreciate you sharing that story, Matt. And and folks, we you know Matt Scott and I we've we've tackled a deeper dive into the realm of estate planning in a prior episode here on the podcast. So if you do have questions surrounding that, head back in time, check check that episode out because we covered a lot of good stuff with regard to estate planning there. Um, guys, moving forward to the next question, 
uh, this one's a little more nuanced, but I know it's one that you guys still get. And that is surrounding this idea of a cashless society. Have people asked you, you know, are we moving towards a cashless society? What do you have to say to that? And is there any insight on this front? So that's a, that's a really good one. We're, we're giving that more and more because again, you, you hear digital currency and, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you've traveled or gone anywhere. There's, there's a lot of places that during the pandemic, a lot of places were like, we're not taking cash. It's, it's credit cards only or debit cards or whatever it was. So it's, it's going to be really unusual to go to a cashless society because while, you know, we all think where we live, you know, especially if you live in a big urban area, right. It's, it's really easy, but think of more rural areas and and maybe some older generations who are saying, Nope, cash is King. And I will always carry cash. And, you know, a lot of younger people don't um, for whatever reason, they just, the convenience of tap your phone or tap your card or whatever it might be to Apple pay or Samsung or whatever it might be. So don't believe it now that, that it will happen, but you know, maybe one day in, in, you know, I know the, the U S government is looking into digital currencies. And so it, it is, unusual times but don't see it happening anytime soon i I was going to add to that um one of the things i think that some people will ask that question in in two different ways because are we talking about currency or are we talking about you know in, in terms of cash or are we talking about something where we have a cryptocurrency instead of a dollar and uh you know in my estimation, until that cryptocurrency is regulated um, and it doesn't have, you know, a standard behind it, it's going to, it's, it, it, it has a ways to go before it replaces actual, uh, the actual, you know, dollar, but we're already there. I mean, I don't know, as far as a cashless society in terms of carrying coin and and paper around in your wallet, uh, I would venture to guess that more than 75% of the transactions go on on a day-to-day basis are done without cash and, or without currency, um, you know, with uh, paper and coin. So I want to bridge that gap now, Scott, from what you had mentioned with cryptocurrency, just this idea of electronic forms of payment and what we were talking about earlier, just with kind of economic turmoil and different ways, shapes and forms. A big question I know that you guys get hit with is, well, well, given all of these things at play, should I be moving my money to gold or to crypto? What should I be doing to stay ahead? And what would you answer that? Uh, how, or rather, how would you answer that question for somebody that's uh, maybe being a little reactive and just reading what they're seeing online and 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 trying to jump to a quick solution? Well, first and foremost, the quick solutions generally don't work, right? Not saying that they can't, but, you know, it's, it's, it's what's your individual situation, you know, and, and does gold make sense in your portfolio or does crypto and we can get into the weeds and discuss crypto and, and what it is, or, you know, the technology behind cryptocurrencies and are they good or not? And are they, are they unregulated securities, right? And some are, some aren't, right? The SEC hasn't decided yet. And so, so really it's okay. What's your individual situation, you know, and, and Scott can touch on this a little bit more like with gold is gold, a good investment is crypto, a good investment. So people invest their money in many ways and whether it's stocks, bonds, 
and crypto or gold or savings accounts or buried in the backyard, right? That's those are all those are all ways to invest money, real estate. And so what makes sense for you? And so when you look at gold, is gold a good investment? And Scott would, you know, touch on this. It's like, okay, do you do you say, oh, we got to move it all to gold because we're going to have, you know, global economic meltdown and I want all my money in gold because gold will hold its value, right? Okay. Is that wise? Well, I don't know. It's, it's... And so you have to then start looking at, well, emotionally versus logically, what makes the most sense and what is the likelihood of a global economic, you know, catastrophe of, of that nature where now gold is, is used as currency, right? And so Scott and I, you know, we've, Scott knows I have a lot of thoughts on this and we don't have time to go into a ton of detail about <laughs> it, but you know, you, you have to, you have to say, okay, what works for your situation? What, what do you think, Scott? Right. Well, I, I think, think that I'm more intrigued by the technology of cryptocurrency. I'm not ready to invest. When I'm talking about investing, I'm talking about core investing. I'm talking about saving for my, my future and my retirement. Um, I'm not investing in crypto in that way. I'm looking at it more from the technology of it, going, getting back to, you know, that question about the cashless society. If, do I believe at some point that the U.S. government could have a cryptocurrency that's regulated and, and has the, the gold standard behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at this point, we don't have that. So I just remind my clients or, you know, make sure I have a, a good conversation with them about what is the reason for investing in it? Is it really to, you know, make some profit really fast? Because that's, I guess, the opportunity that's there with the cryptocurrency. It's that volatile uh, from one day to the next. And so you can trade it, you can, um, you know, gamble with it, so to speak. So I'm talking to people about whatever disposable income they have that they want to have fun with, that they want to use to invest towards crypto. But I'm very skeptical at this point without the without the SEC's blessing and without it being a, a registered security before I'm talking about it being an investment. Uh, so and that's not to say, you know, I, I don't want to appear to be, you know, the old the old man here that doesn't believe in, in the technology, because I do. I do think that technology is here. It's here to stay and it's going to continue to be developed. So if I were to invest I would be investing in the technology of it rather than betting on which of those cryptocurrencies will someday be a, a currency that the U.S. government adopts. Now, it's really interesting school of thought there, guys. I appreciate you shedding some light on that. Um, I want to pivot now to, to another question that um, I know it, uh, there are so many ways to tackle and address this question. Um, it, given what you see in the news, given, uh, you know, this idea of, of quiet quitting that we've seen pop up so much lately, uh, where, where employees are, are doing the bare minimum or they're just not working altogether. I'm, I know you've been hit with the question, why is no one working anymore these days? Where is everybody working? Why is no one working? What do you have to say to that? And, and what's the ripple effect of this idea of, of people thinking that no one's working? So you know we go places and we're like oh the service is terrible and nobody's working like like you're saying right so what if you look <clears throat> excuse me there's there are 
we are in the most abundant time in the history of the world, right? Each generation wants the next generation to have it better than the previous one, right? Those who live through or were touched by the Great Depression, they don't ever want to see that again. 25 plus percent unemployment, unemployment, bread lines, right? Nobody wants that. And so they worked and achieved to do better for the next generation. So we are in the greatest abundant time in the history of the world, meaning there's going to be 60, depending on the number, 63 to $68 trillion that is being passed on from generation to generation. That is an obscene amount of money. Well, what's happening also is when this whole um, global pandemic, people reassessed their priorities and said, okay, do I want to or need to work as much or do I need as much to live on or whatever the case may be? As well as, so you got parents and grandparents are saying, I don't want my kids to or grandkids to have to work. I want to help them out. Right or wrong, we can debate that for a long, long time, right? But then it's like, okay, they don't have to work to, okay, I want a new pair of shoes or I want a pair of pants or shirts or whatever. It's like, oh, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are going to take care of that for us. So there's a lot less of that. In addition to, there are so many new industries and new ways to make money and or you see a lot of, not even younger people, just a lot of people saying, I'm going to explore this passion of, I'm going to create a YouTube channel or an Instagram channel or a Reddit or whatever, and I'm going to make my money that way. Or I want to be a an influencer on TikTok or Instagram, right? You have all these different ways for people to make money. And so they don't need the quote unquote traditional way of, I need to start as a part-time job in high school. And then maybe I get my next job right out of high school. Or if I go to college and then I need a part-time job, like all those those service related jobs, right? That's where we're seeing it hit the most of people not working. There's just so many different ways that, as my wife says, there's so many paths to adulthood. It used to be, this is the, well, now there's just so many different ways to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and guys speaking and to kind of piggyback on that, that thought of, of, of generation to generation, as we kind of bring our conversation ahead, the final question here is surrounding this idea. Uh, you know, we've we've even mentioned it on this show that expression "shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves" in three generations. This idea that that wealth once passed down a few different generations can be depleted over time due to the mismanagement of that wealth. What do you guys? in terms of questions or just conversations really with clients or pro, you know, anybody out there, what do you have to share with them in regard to this idea that shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations and trying to avoid somebody who's worked so hard for their wealth to watch that wealth deplete over time due to the internal mismanagement from the family itself. What do you have to say to that? I'll start Scott, if you don't mind, then you can jump in. Sure. Um, so I had this conversation last night, um, with the father and his two sons who joined the family business, one of the sons actually he and his wife were expecting, and the other one's getting married this or a year from now. And it's like, okay, this father, he grew up, he came from his parents, basically shirt sleeves, to now he has built up this nice business that he's brought his sons in and they're expanding and it's going fantastic. Well, he's 61 years old and he plans on working for another five to eight years or so, but knows that his sons. And all the acquisitions, his sons are the ones that are going to benefit. And we're having the conversation of, okay, well, 
if and when you have grandkids or their kids, do they see and understand the hard work that you put in to get to this level that your kids are taking to the next level? And if you don't relay this to your kids to then make sure they relay it to their kids, right? Do you want to be, read an article just the other day, do you want to be the Vanderbilts or do you want to be the Rockefellers, right? The Rockefellers, their wealth is, well, the Vanderbilts by three generations, right? Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. And so it's it's being purposeful and intentional as that family who has said, okay, we're not going to be shirt sleeves anymore, or you've achieved that a certain level and you just continually build into your plan for lack of a better term, safeguard so that you don't go shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in a few generations. Because if your kids and grandkids and great grandkids or future generations don't understand all the hard work, hey, if you hand a, at the time, 22 to 25 year old, five or $10 million kind of takes a lot of motivation away of work. And so this is where we kind of say, you know, Warren Buffett's famous quote is, right? Because he's what, I don't know how many billions that he's worth, but it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to leave my kids enough so that they'll do something, but not so much that they'll do nothing. Yeah, I would, I would only add to, you know, kind of piggybacking on, on, you know, when we talked about why is no one working, um, it kind of implies that nobody wants to work or that we're, you know, that somehow, you know, younger folks are lazier now. Um, I tend to think that maybe, uh, you know, with younger kids having more passion is about maybe being influencers and and wanting to, you know, make their mark in the world, um, that it doesn't necessarily start um, at, uh, you know, at the grocery store like it did for me, you know, taking groceries out for people and putting them in their car and, and establishing that work ethic. Um, it doesn't mean that the young folks aren't establishing a work ethic uh, they're doing it much differently today. I think they they are trying to find their own way in using uh, the technology that's available to them and to uh, you know create something. Uh, I think that's the one the one thing that we can say out of what's happened with the pandemic is that people got really creative and uh, and they were able to leverage themselves into jobs that were more creative. So um, it may be it's a cycle that we're going through. Uh, I tend to be more optimistic about it, even though it gets very frustrating. Sometimes, like Matt said, when you're going to a restaurant and you can't, you know, you can't get served like you used to. But, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of look at the this shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves thing as the ones who are most at risk are the ones who are, are having family businesses passed down to kids who might not necessarily have the same passion for that business as their parents did. Um, but when I'm seeing, uh, you know, because we've been now in, you know, this country is now 200 and, you know, over 250 years old. Uh, and it has wealth that has been transferring from one generation to the next. And we're finding that, hey, you know, kids are inheriting more money or younger people are inheriting more money and are going to go about things a little bit differently. Um, and with that kind of wealth, then they can uh, have the, the uh, flexibility uh, to, you know, pursue their passions uh, and not do it so much in the uh, traditional way. So, Ryan, just the one final note on, uh, like Scott was talking about, the creativity you have to have have Scott share with you how creative he has been with driftwood from uh, his uh, place over on the lake. 
and uh, the uh, the I don't want to call it a fish because that doesn't do it justice. But this thing that he created is pretty cool. I'll have to share that with you one time. All right, all right. I'm excited. I, lo- I love to hear that. Yeah, Scott, absolutely. I mean, people found ways to be creative and kind of express themselves, and then by nature of that, stumbled into a livelihood, you know, a business opportunity that could, that could net mm-hmm. them a living. And, and that's, it's really shaken things up uh, and, and left it's left a bigger impact than I think many people thought uh, when the pandemic broke yeah. out and, and how yeah, I think what techno- life look technology like. has created. Yeah. It's created access. Um, think about, think about just from the music industry, how many people couldn't get to the guy or the person who was going to give them the shot. Now you can create whatever you want. You can put it out there. And if it's good, people are going to gravitate towards it and it's going to go viral and you're going to, you know, your talent is going to, is going to overcome. And I think that's one of the things that the kids are seeing today is that, hey, you know, they have a dream, they have a passion. It may not work out, but at least they have the tools by which they can try. And that's where, you know, maybe it's going to mean one less McDonald's on every corner because there's not enough people to work and maybe we have to drive a couple extra miles to get to the next one. But, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's some exciting things about what this, uh, you know, asking those questions, why aren't people not working? I don't know. There's, they're not working. I think they're just dreaming and they're, they're starting to, um, think about what would life be like if I was my own, my own man, my own woman and, and creating my own lifestyle. Yeah, it's a promising thought for sure. Well, well, gentlemen, I, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to dive into kind of these 10 big topics and questions that I know a lot of clients are asking you guys about on a regular basis. And and for our audience, if anybody out there, maybe there was a question that we didn't get to hit today necessarily. I mean, uh, and we'd like to do another episode like this where we field a handful of questions and maybe they want to reach out and ask you guys, uh, you know, get your insight on a topic. What would be the best way they can get in touch with you? Matt, I'll, I'll throw that over to you. Sure, Ryan. Uh, The traditional way is give us a phone call, 517-333-7967, or go to our website, morrisonnordman.com. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, again, I appreciate you and your time. I'll let you guys get back to serving your clients and doing what you do best, but uh, looking forward to being back on the next one with you. Hey, Ryan. Great to see you. Have a great day. Thanks, Ryan. Look forward to it. Thank you guys. And hey, look, we want to take a final moment as always and thank our audience for stopping by and being with us today on the show. If you did take anything away from today's discussion, you benefited or learned something from one of these big topics or questions that we hit, go ahead and hit that subscribe button then on whichever platform you checked us out on today. That way you never miss out on another conversation where we dive into these unique wealth management topics so that you and yours can come out better for it on the other side. Before Scott and Matt, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long today, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Path to Abundant Living. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors. Morrison, Norman and Associates and Securities America are separate entities. All investing involves risk, including the possible risk of principal.